Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. It feels like Central has gone on its holidays, so I'm bringing this down here so I can be a bit closer to you, but that means upstairs you might not see me so well and you might even like to come down and join us in the seats that we have downstairs. So I would love to invite you to do that, but I'm not going to humiliate you into doing that. But while you consider doing that, I'd love to tell you a story. I've actually, I've just come from preaching at the 9.30 gathering this morning and was hearing a testimony that I really just wanted to encourage you with this morning. Farshid was interviewing somebody who came um, yesterday to spend the day with a Farsi group that Farshid leads. That's a group of Iranians um, who are now resident in the UK. And Farshid leads this group that's connected to our international missional community. And yesterday there was between 50 and 60 people in our hall, all from a Muslim background of some sort. And yesterday, eight people professed faith in the Lord Jesus for the first time next door. You think you've just come to a sleepy Sunday morning at Central in the summer holidays, but God is at work. Jesus is still on his throne and there is much to be thankful for today, isn't there? We're spending our summer this year thinking about heroes of the faith, people who have ventured and done great things for God, who inspire us and whose ways we might begin to learn to walk in. And like Thomas last week, I've been caused to reminisce and think about who my heroes and my superheroes of the past were. And like with Thomas, these date me just like they dated him. Here are mine. We have for you today Wonder Woman and Princess Leia. I'm not sure that I've managed to base my life on either of them. I don't have a great affection for jewellery. But I think if, like Wonder Woman, I had indestructible bracelets and a weaponized tiara that I could throw and do great damage with, I might wear a little bit more jewellery than I do at the moment. Or Princess Leia, who was just always ready to step up and step in when she wasn't quite sure that the boys had it all together just as much as they thought they had. Jabba the Hutt was no real opposition for Princess Leia. I don't know what you look for in a hero. If you were playing top trumps and uh, you superhero or hero top trumps, what would be the category that would be most important for you in a hero, in somebody that you would want to seek inspiration from. For some of us, the people that we find inspiring and heroic are the people who have dared to do amazing things that we can't even begin to comprehend being capable of. People who are single-minded in their focus, and who seem to have capacity and capability beyond that which we ever thought was possible. And we go, wow. Maybe that's what some of your heroes are like. My boy is reading Bear Grylls till it's coming out of his ears at the moment because that's the kind of hero that he goes after. Or maybe actually you are much more likely to connect with somebody who in many, many ways is very ordinary. Just like you, just like me. 
but yet the things that God is able to do in and through them, despite and maybe even because of their ordinariness, inspires you to great things. I was really disappointed two weeks ago when we were to dress up that we didn't have any long sticks of grass or stalks of grass in my back garden because I really wanted to come as Ruth from the Bible because she just was brave in the most ordinary of ways and yet she inspired she inspires still me. So I don't know what you're looking for, but Hebrews 11, that's the chapter of the Bible that we're looking to over the summer, is full of people that are a beautiful blend of those two things, the extraordinary and the ordinary. And the, the extraordinary comes in some of the things that God does the things that he gets up to and the things that he's able to do in them. But the ordinary is there for us all to see in personality, in capacity, in gifting. These people that are mentioned in Hebrews 11 that we're looking at all through the summer are very ordinary in the way that they go about things. And we want to learn from them. We particularly want to learn from their faith. I'm imagining A little insert going at the back of the Bible, the Hebrews 11 appendix that has listed in it the names of all of the people who ventured in faith since the day that this was written. I'm not suggesting we change scripture, don't get too upset. But an appendix that lists all the different things that people down the years have ventured in on God's behalf. The places God's taken people, the things that he's done. And that in that appendix would be me and would be you. And the things that God is calling us to in our generation and in our time. And that's what we've got real hope for this summer, that our faith will grow as we listen to these stories and we understand more the kind of God that we trust in, who calls us to these faith ventures and enables us for them. And we've chosen this definition of faith to help us to understand what we think it is that God calls us to. It says that faith is taking God at his word. It's trusting God in his power to show up. And it's putting the weight of your life on the belief of your heart. So taking God at his word, trusting that the things that he says are unchanging and true today, and we'll find the fulfillment of the promises in our lives. Trusting God in his power to show up, trusting that he is good and that his Holy Spirit lives in us and is sufficient in all of our weakness for everything that he calls us to. And putting the weight of our life on the belief of our heart. Trusting enough that it actually makes a difference in the way that we live. In the things that we'll do. In the things that we'll say yes to. Because we believe God to be sufficient. And today we're thinking about Abraham. And Abraham takes up more space in Hebrews 11 than anybody else. He's like the champion of champions in Hebrews 11. He's top dog, big billing, top line, sets the bar pretty high for everybody else 
that follows him in Hebrews 11. Every major world religion looks to Abraham as a father figure in the faith. And verses 8 to 19 of Hebrews 11, where we're going to spend a lot of our time this morning. You might want to find it if you've got a Bible and stick your finger in the page there. Almost all of those verses, 8 to 19, are all about Abraham, where some people just get a sentence. Some people just get a mention in a list. Abraham gets this really big chunk. And there are three particular stories that the writer draws attention to that go from Abraham's call to leave Mesopotamia through to an encounter that we don't altogether understand when Abraham's asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. And we're going to look at those three encounters that are mentioned in this passage this morning. But first of all, I want to read to you from Genesis, where Abraham first appears and where God makes it really clear for Abraham what his plans and purposes are for Abraham's life. So we're going to go there first to Genesis chapter 12 um, at verses 1 to 3. And it says there, the Lord has said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Just a few short verses, and they change absolutely everything for Abraham. In a few short verses, God promises Abraham a land a people, a great name, and universal influence that will last for generations and generations. And none of it because Abraham is worthy. Because up until now, at the beginning of Genesis 12, Abraham has done absolutely nothing. But God comes with this call And this purpose for Abraham's life, that all people are going to be blessed through the stuff that God's going to do in Abraham. So Abraham doesn't take up all the airspace in Hebrews 11 because he's some sort of spiritual legend. He takes up all the airspace because of the importance of the plans and purposes that God has for him. And the difference that God is going to make to many, many, many people through this one man's life as the starting point at the beginning of it all. But you know, it's not all about Abraham, just like it's not all about us. It's actually all about God. And it's all about other people. And it's all about us. And it's lovely the way that story weaves together in Abraham's life as God digs into and walks with him in the very ordinary and personal things of his life to do an amazing thing down the generations and through history that bring the kind of transformation that he's speaking to Abraham about in Genesis chapter 12. We've always got to be a bit careful when we open the Bible to know exactly how to take what we read there, what's relevant for us and what's not directly relevant for us anymore. I'm not sure how many of you have gone from last week and have built an ark since we were last together. Anyone? No? No. We we know when we listen to the story of Noah that the call in our life is not to go build an ark like Noah was to build an ark. 
So as we listen to God's call to Abraham, is his call to us anything like his call to Abraham? Or is that a bonkers thing that he had for then that's not for us now? Well, when we read the account of Abraham's life and then the account of God's people right down through the generations from Genesis chapter 12, there is nothing to tell us that that call has changed. That call to receive God's blessing so that we might pass on God's blessing to other people hasn't changed since Genesis 12. It has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus who then gave us the great commission to go and to make disciples and to be people who take the blessing of God wherever we go. So we've got great confidence that today as we listen to the story of Abraham, we can see that that story has direct relevance for our lives. And so we want to see how Abraham responds to everything that God asks of him. So come with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to read it um, in short chunks because there are these different encounters that Abraham has with God that the writer to the Hebrews speaks about. So we're going to kick off at verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 11. And if you don't have a Bible, it'll come up on the screen. So by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, I'm so glad those are not my words, they're in the Bible. He as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. We see Abraham's faith mentioned again and again there. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Abraham. Different faith being exercised in different ways at different times, depending on what God was calling him to. And in these verses of Hebrews 11, we see Abraham being called to have faith when he didn't know the where of God's call for him. But because Abraham believed in God's call, on his life. He left his people. He left his comforts. He left what was known. I don't imagine he was leaving flat screen televisions on the walls of caves or tents, but he still was leaving everything that was familiar to him and going to a place that he knew nothing about. No Google, no Wikipedia, no way of knowing this land of Canaan. He'd never been before. He didn't understand what it would be like when he got there, but he went because God called him to go. And when he got there, he lived as an alien. He lived in tents. And the only possession that he had was a cave in which one day he would bury his wife. God asks Abraham to leave everything that's familiar before he understands where he has to go. Now, I don't know about you, but I I don't have a great relationship with maps. And my husband doesn't have a great relationship with somebody who can't read maps. 
And so Tom Tom has been the greatest blessing to our marriage. It has the longevity that it has, thanks only to Satnav. But I am pretty sure that even I would have had the concentration to sit down with the Lord, with the atlas in front of me, to understand where I was to be going if that option had been available to me. I know my mind might have blurred all over. It might all have gone a bit fuzzy and sounded like white noise. But I would have been keen to understand the highs and the lows of the journey, the things to be careful for, the stuff I would need to pack, the things I would need to be ready for and expectant of, the really hard bits that I would just need to grip my teeth and bear. I would want to know what lay ahead. But that's not God's way. And it's not what he calls Abraham to. He doesn't wait for Abraham to understand the where of his, where he's going before he'll trust him to set out on the journey. I wonder how that feels for you. I wonder if God has been speaking to you about stepping out anywhere into the unknown, where it's perhaps not clear what it looks like or where it might take you. Maybe he's been speaking to you about something new or maybe something deeper. And it's tempting, isn't it, to wait. And and to wait until we understand how it's all going to look before we venture out. And it's also really tempting to wait until we're sure that it's all going to look fine to decide if we'll venture out. But actually God's call to us like it is to Abraham is not to wait until it becomes clear, but to work out as we go in faith in the things that God calls us to in the adventure, ready to say yes before it's all been mapped out. Abraham didn't wait for all his ducks to be in a row, for his I's to be dotted and his T's to be crossed before he ventured into the things that God was speaking to him about. When I was 19, I remember listening to quite a hard-hitting but really significant talk that I can't actually remember the passage, but it could well have been Genesis chapter 12. And God's heart for the nations, God's love for people and his desire for everyone to come to know him. And my part to play in that. And I remember at the end of that evening talk standing and saying that I would go wherever, whenever God called me. And I wouldn't count the cost. And you know, that 19-year-old still lives inside this 42-year-old. And every day, I really desire to be that person who says I will go wherever God calls me, whenever he calls me, and not count the cost. And yeah, it gets harder. It gets harder when you've got mortgages and jobs and children and responsibilities. But God's call to his people, is to wherever, whenever, to be a blessing. And maybe today God might reawaken some of that resolve that he placed in some of us, where we said, yes, Lord, we'll go. But we've maybe not gone just as far as we thought we would. Maybe we've settled before we've really seen the fulfillment of the things that God has spoken about. Abraham didn't want to hang on to comfort 
security or certainty. He was ready for whatever God had. The things the world says mattered didn't matter to him because he set his mind and he set his heart on different priorities. It says in verse 10 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, for Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. There was a different reality that was calling Abraham on and that meant that he was able to have faith when he didn't understand the when of God's purposes. Because that passage we read in Hebrews 11 talks about God promising Abraham and Sarah a son. And they waited 25 years for the birth of Isaac. My head doesn't really comprehend that. 25 years in their old age until that promise was fulfilled. And that was a promise that Abraham really, really struggled with. And so we've got to remember that when we see him as a hero of the faith, he still struggled with some of the things that God had said. Both Abraham and Sarah laughed when they heard God say that they would become parents in their old age. And they really struggled to wait on God's timing and not to try to take things into their own hands. And that's exactly what Abraham ended up doing because he so struggled to be patient. We've said that faith is trusting God at his words. And, and trusting God in his power to show up. And I think, I think Abraham did trust, but because he didn't altogether understand, he started to go about things in his own ways and tried to make things happen in his own purposes and with his own strength. And they all turned out in Abraham's way and not God's way. And so in order to fulfill the promises himself, he ends up having a child, Ishmael, with his maidservant. Because being patient for the things that God told him to wait for was really hard. It's just possible that some of us have birthed the odd Ishmael in our lives. As we've struggled to wait for the things that God has said. And we've stormed ahead in our own strength, our own speed, in our own our own devices to see the things transpire that actually are not really what God had for us. But he really wasn't sure when Sarah would conceive. And trusting for the when was really hard. Waiting on God's timing is very, very difficult. I remember eight years ago, um, I, a job that I was in had come to an end. It was a fixed-term contract. And I didn't know what lay ahead. Some days I would wake up thinking that was really exciting. The world was my oyster, ladies and gentlemen. Just you wait and see what I was off to do. Now, all the jobs that I'd ever dreamt about doing, I was up for applying for, even the Blue Peter presenter. I never quite got that application in. Some days it was really exciting. But other days, my words, fear was the only thing that really had a grip of me. What if I hadn't heard God correctly? What if waiting wasn't what he wanted me to do? What if actually he'd forgotten about me? What were other people thinking as they looked at my life and I was trying to be this testimony of faith, but actually I was quite easily stuffing it up? Every day, sometimes many times every day, my prayer was, Lord, right now, in this moment, I'm choosing to trust you. Right now, I'm choosing to trust you. I'm choosing to trust that you're good. I'm choosing to trust that you know what you're doing. I'm choosing to trust in your ways before my ways. 
I'm choosing to trust that you are God and I am not and you can see things that I can't see and I'm choosing to wait. And there were some days I prayed that prayer many, many times because waiting on God for his plans and purposes is hard. And it's understandable if sometimes we ask the question that Eve asked or that Eve was asked rather back in Genesis, did God really say? Did God really say those things that you're waiting for? Did he really promise them to you? Are you right waiting? Are you standing still when you should be walking? Abraham was great venturing out when he could have stayed still until he had all the facts. Here he's being asked to wait rather than take things into his own hands. Did God really say, can you really trust? And yes, we can really trust where God has spoken, where his word promises things, where they speak about who he is, about his character and about his ways. Yes, he did really say, and we can really trust when we have to wait for the when. But you know, sometimes it's a really valid question that I just need to test and examine my own heart. Because sometimes... I'm waiting on something, and no, God didn't really say it. It's my own wishful thinking. It's things that people have said to me to make me feel better. It's, it's maybe a prophetic word that is right that I should look to fulfillment of, but not put the whole weight of my faith and life upon it while I wait. And so if God says and promises something to me from his word, I hold tight to it and I don't let it go until I see its fulfillment but if a promise comes to me from any other source no matter how good it is I hold it light until I see whether God brings that into my life if it comes from his word I cling on to it with everything that I've got if it comes to me from any other source no matter how confident I might be I hold it lightly And I ask the Lord to bring those things to fulfillment. We can ask him for these things, but we need to be careful when we say he promised us something, if maybe he didn't. It's his unchanging word that we look to. But you know, Abraham was able to continue to trust God when he just plain didn't understand. We're just about to read from Hebrews 11, that final episode in Abraham's life, where he is asked to do something that just blows my mind. And I don't quite understand, and I'm not sure any scholar even does, quite understand what God, why God was asking Abraham to do what he was asking. We have lots of ideas and lots of answers. But God's call to Abraham towards the later part of his life just blows my mind. But Abraham was ready when he didn't understand why God was calling him to something. Because his faith had grown in all the other seasons and episodes of his life. So when this whopper of an ask came from the Lord, he was ready to say yes, no matter what it cost him. Let's have another look at Hebrews 11 at verse 17. It'll come up on the screen again if you don't have a Bible there. Verse 17 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. 
Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So Abraham's waited 25 years for Isaac to be born. And then God asks him to take him to a mountain and to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. He doesn't explain why. And Genesis 22, where this whole story is written, if you want to read it later, we don't see Abraham asking why. Instead, Abraham responds with really prompt obedience. The next day, Abraham steps out to do what God's called him to do. And it would seem if you read Hebrews 11 and Genesis 22 together, that he just had complete faith that God was going to provide. Whether God was going to provide a lamb to come in and to be sacrificed instead of Isaac, or whether he was going to have to go through with the sacrifice that God had spoken to him about, but that God would raise Isaac from the dead. He had such confidence in the promises of God and the provision of God that he set out to do this thing that he did not understand why. He had heard God say that the stars in the sky would be like the descendants that he would have on earth. And yet the sole heir to that promise was to be given up. And Abraham in that moment said yes. He didn't take Isaac to the altar doubting God's promises. He didn't take Isaac to the altar with blind faith. He went with deep faith. And with big confidence, great confidence and conviction in God's promises to him. Faith in the God who didn't shy away himself from sacrificing his own son. Faith in the God who shared his heart and his vision with Abraham for his plans and purposes for this world. You know, Abraham didn't always understand the where, the when or the why. But he did grow to know and to understand the God who called him. And so whenever God asked this of him in Genesis 22, Abraham said, yes, because I trust you. Yes, because I trust you. I know that you're good and I know that you can be trusted. It's really easy, isn't it, for our lack of understanding about why something might be to stop us because our rational minds want to understand everything. Why would God ask me to say that thing or do that thing? If it doesn't make sense to me, then I'll just stay in my place until it does make sense. But faith calls us to that place of response when we don't have answers to every one of our questions. Abraham says there is a better way than allowing our questions to, to disable our faith. And he understands why. It says in this bit that I jumped in Hebrews 11 at verse 13, not just talking about Abraham, but about everybody that, that's been mentioned already in Hebrews 11. It says at th- verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say su- such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, 
for he has prepared a city for them. None of these people in Hebrews 11 got to see the full fulfillment of the promises that God made to them. Not a single one of them. None of them got to see the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And we wait in the time for his coming again. And so we haven't yet seen every single promise fulfilled. But compared to these guys, we have seen Jesus fulfill every promise that God has made. And we look for the ultimate fulfillment in his coming again. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So Abraham was able to keep waiting, keep walking and keep obeying because he knew that his inheritance lay somewhere else. He knew that God's plans and purposes for him lay beyond what he could see on this earth. He knew that the things that God was doing in him and through them were going to bring fruit and riches beyond anything that he could imagine or could see in this world. This earth was only for a while. Eternity was waiting for him. And the stuff that he could see now was just a shadow of what was to come. I don't know how many of you are going on holiday over the next few weeks if you're off somewhere nice. But my guess is that most of you, as you pack your suntan lotion, your guidebooks, the kitchen sink, whatever those of you go on holiday take with you, my guess is none of you are taking a greenhouse, some seeds and plants, shovel and hoe, stuff to plant a garden at your holiday home. You don't plant a garden when you go on holiday to a holiday home for a couple of weeks because you know that you live somewhere else. You hold really lightly and you live really lightly when you're on holiday because you know that's not your home. And that's how Abraham was living. Everything that God had given to him held lightly because this wasn't his home. God had a different eternity, a different home, a different place and a different future. And so yes, sometimes he felt like an alien. Yes, as he looked around, people didn't understand everything that God was calling him to, just like he didn't always understand everything that God was calling him to. But he wasn't looking to build and secure everything here because his inheritance lay somewhere else. So how do we respond to God's call to Abraham? What does it mean for us? What does it look like for us when the where or the when or the why isn't clear? Will we trust? Will we be patient? Will we go? Will we wait? Will we obey? Will we focus on the here and now and everything that's seen and known? Or will we fix our eyes on things to come and the priorities that God gives us that are his priorities for this world? Will we resolve to participate in adventure or will we be tempted to settle for comfort and familiar and secure? I've been really haunted by these words that I haven't read yet 
just before those words to Abraham in Genesis 12. It's the second last verse of Genesis chapter 11. And as I've been preparing this week, I don't know why they've been so large in my head, but they've really haunted me. It says in verse 31 of Genesis 11, Terah took his son Abraham, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abraham, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. I don't want to be somebody who settles, not in the place that God ultimately has for me. I don't want to be somebody who gives up on the promises and the call that God has for me just because it gets difficult or because we go to the unknown or because we don't understand at all. Abraham's father settled. Abraham journeyed and adventured. He didn't just do a deal with God at Genesis 12 that then served him the rest of his days. But he continued to surrender life to God in all of those different occasions and more. What will it look like for us? Not just to be people who once upon a time said, Lord, I give you my all. I give you my life. I give you my future, my career, my hopes, my dreams, my family, whatever it might be. But actually, quite regularly, I pick it back up again. And quite regularly, my decisions are made based on the security of those things and holding on to those things and understanding those things. But God calls us to adventure, trusting those things to him, but into an adventure. And so today are we up for the sacrifice, the daily, the weekly, the constant surrendering back to him, our dreams and our plans our hopes and our ways, our thoughts that are not his thoughts and asking him to lead us into the unknown where we don't always understand the where, the when and the why, but that God might birth in us faith for the journey, faith for the adventure because he has got the destination and all of the map in his hands, his perspective not ours. Let me pray for us as we uh, think about what God might say to us this morning. Lord, I thank you for how you loved Abraham. Thank you that you didn't look for him to be some sort of superhero. You just made promises to him. And he obeyed. Lord, we long for that to be the story of our lives. You know our weaknesses, our failings. But we come this morning to respond to your call on our lives. Lord, we want to be obedient. We want to go where you say go. We want to wait for the things that you have for us. And we want to trust and we don't understand why. I wonder just in the quiet if you might um, stand with me. If you um, just want to respond to God leading you into the future with that attitude of surrender, of needing to know where, when, and why. Maybe there's something specific 
Maybe it's just generally in life that wants to be your resolve today that you're going to go wherever, whenever, for whatever purposes God has, that today we resolve that that's going to be our attitude of heart. And so Lord, as we stand, we want to ask you today to seal in our hearts that resolve that we won't live our lives for ourselves but we'll live for the plans and purposes that you have for us because, Lord, you are good. And Lord, we long to see people come to know you. We long to see the blessings that you give to us shared with those that we meet. And so, Lord, we stand with our hands open and we ask that we would receive blessing from you, that we would be people like Abraham who know you, who understand you, who trust you and know your goodness in every part of our lives. And that, Lord, we will wait for the fulfillment of the things yet unseen. Lord, would you give us courage? Would you help us to choose to keep venturing even when fear comes in? Lord, we long to obey in every way that you call us to. And today we resolve to be those people thank you Holy Spirit that you live in us thank you Jesus that you've shown us the way thank you Father that you know our destination point we trust in you today Amen